Good morning, New City Church. Thank you for joining us today all across our city. We're grateful to be able to be together in this way. What a week it's been. What a week it has been. But you know what? This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. And as a people of God, together, we rejoice and we're glad in it. We're grateful to be able to come together today for one purpose, to worship Jesus to lift him up. And you know, all throughout the centuries, the church has gone through all kinds of different moments and crises, and all throughout it, there's been one constant, and that's been the presence, the goodness, and the word of God, the truth of God gathering us together. So again, we're so grateful to have you here today in a, in a time, in a moment in our world that is constantly changing, when literally by the hour we're finding out new things uh, when many of us, our hearts are filled with concern and wonder, we come to the one today who doesn't change, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so today we gather and we look to Jesus. We open up his word. We remind ourselves of truth. And we gather together in this way as a body of believers, lifting Jesus up and also praying for one another. So we want to have a time to worship together at New City, and we want to start uh, just with a call to worship from God's word. I'm going to ask Jen to read the scriptures to us today. We're grateful to have you here today. Well, good morning to each and every one of you, and I'm so excited at how God is gathering our church together on this morning. Um, whether you are huddled together as a family on the couch or sitting around a kitchen table with friends, um, we are still God's church. We are still his people. And the thought that keeps coming to my mind as we enter into these days and weeks ahead of us is that there is a God who still sees each and every one of us and that his presence is every bit with each and every one of you right where you are, even though we are not publicly gathered in the same place. So just know that and walk in the hope of that. So I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul said um, so many years ago in Romans. He said, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. So let's do that, New City Church. Let's rejoice in hope. Let's be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. Let's pray together this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we're grateful to be able to gather today. We're grateful to be able to lift you up to give you praise because you are praise worthy. And we do gather together to pray, to rejoice in hope, to be patient, to be reminded of truth. And so today, wherever we might be, physically, may we be reminded that you are with us, that you are for us, that we can look to you, that we can count on you, that we can cast our cares upon you because you care for us, we lift up today in the name of Jesus. We honor you. We worship you. This is your day, and we worship you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.
Jesus' blood and 
Darkness seems to hide his face. I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. My anchor holds within. Thank you. 
Father, we humbly acknowledge that we are powerless without you. But in you and through you, you work in our lives and you work through us. That you are the source of peace and comfort and safety. Would your spirit remind us of that in this moment and in these coming days, that you are the Prince of Peace God of all comfort and a refuge. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Hello, New City family and friends. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. For this is indeed the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Well, I'm Rodney. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm super excited to share a message from God's Word with you today. If you're joining us for the first time today, we've been in a study of the book of John over the last few weeks, and we've been looking specifically at seven signs or miracles that John records in his gospel. And we've entitled the series, The Miraculous Seven. And John shares with us the purpose of these signs in John 20, verses 30 and 31. And they read, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so these verses serve as the foundation for the entire series. And the purpose of these signs is to point to Jesus, who he is and who he longs to be to each one of us, our Savior and our Lord, that by believing in him, we would have life in his name. And so by way of recap, we began this series a few weeks ago and we looked at sign number one in John 2. We looked at when Jesus turned water to wine. And in that, we looked at the amount of water that he turned into wine was significant because it was equivalent to about 900 bottles. And we learned that that was symbolic of God's love for us that never runs dry. In other words, his provision for you and I is more than enough. And then last week we looked in John 4 at sign number 2 when Jesus healed the official's son. And in that message we learned that desperation, those moments in life that, that we all know uh, all too well, those desperate moments in life, we learned that desperation creates space for our faith to come alive and to grow. And so this week, if it's all right, we're going we're gonna to hang out at the pool a little bit. Is that all right? We're going to hang out at the pool a little bit. And we're going to look at sign number three, healing at the pool of Bethesda. But before we do, let's commit our time to the Lord. 
in prayer. God in heaven, thank you so much for this moment that you've ordained before the very foundations of the world. God, you knew exactly where we would be right now. You knew what we'd be going through. You knew how we would feel. But God, we commit our feelings and our anxiety and everything up to you right now in this moment. We ask that you would arrest our attention, settle our hearts, help us to focus on you that we may get the nourishment we need for the time is this. So we commit this space into you, Lord. We pray that you would drive anything uh, out of our presence that would dare impede the flow, the move, the work of your spirit. Get the glory out of our time together, we pray. In Jesus' name, God's children said amen and amen, amen. So I want to invite you to turn with me today to uh, John chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9. John chapter 5, if you have a copy of the scriptures near you or if you prefer the digital method, it should be preloaded uh, on the app for you. But John chapter 9, chapter 5 rather, verses 1 through 9. And the word of the Lord reads, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And verse 9, and at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. And so I want to start by just giving a little, a little background on the word uh, Bethesda and what that means. The scripture says that, that Jesus had arrived here at the pool of, of Bethesda, which was just inside the sheep gate. Now the word Bethesda is essentially a synthesis of two words, Beth meaning house and Hesda meaning grace or mercy. Now the word Hesda could also mean shame or disgrace, and this dual meaning was thought by many to be appropriate since the location was seen as a place of disgrace due to the presence of invalids as well as a place of grace due to the granting of healing. Now, I want to take a few minutes here and, and kind of set the scene uh, for us today uh, of what I imagine going on here. The Bible says that there was a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but I can imagine in this scene here, there must have been depression. There had to have been uh, an abundance of discouragement and hopelessness. I can even imagine the stench that must have been in the air. Many of us know that often sickness and disease carry a smell. But I can also imagine expectation and hope. The more I thought about this, it really seemed like it's a microcosm of the church. Just think about it. Uh, we're all impotent to a degree in spiritual things. 
some of us are spiritually blind. You know, we find it hard to see God's hand in our lives. Some of us are spiritually paralyzed. We're stuck in a spiritually unproductive cycle. Some of us are lame spiritually. In other words, there are, there's movement in our lives, but, but we're feeble and our steps towards God are few and far in between. And maybe some of us today are, are deaf spiritually. We can't hear God the way we would like to hear him. And so this is where our man in the text is today. He's described as an invalid. The scripture is not clear on what his specific condition is, but whatever his condition is, this man is caught between hope and hopelessness. He's caught between hope and hopelessness. Now, he's, he's at the pool. He's at the pool. So he has some degree of expectation and hope, but he's been in his condition for 38 years. I find it interesting, though, that the multitude of people here in our text went to a place to be healed. They went to a place. And if you think about it, uh, it's, it's, it's not unlike most of us do today. We go to a place to be healed. We go to church to feel better about who we are and, 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 and what we're struggling with. Now, I'm certainly not suggesting that we not come to church. But I, what I am suggesting is that the healing we need is found in a person not a place. Healing we need is not in a place, but in a person. What is your hope anchored in today? So as we dive a little deeper into this third sign, I want to look specifically here at the words of Jesus, because I believe that they give some insight into his desire for all of us. If you remember, Jesus said in John 6, 63, the words that I have spoken, they are spirit, and they are life. The words that I've spoken, they are spirit and they are life. And again, the purpose of these signs are so that we may believe and have what? Life. We might believe and have life. And so let's look at verse number six here and the question that Jesus asked the man. Jesus asked him, he said, do you want to be healed? Now, I don't, know about, I don't know about you, but this is an interesting question to me because the obvious answer would be yes. Yes, I want to be healed. What do you think I'm doing here at the pool? However, we all know that not all sick people want to be healed. You ever tried helping somebody and they didn't want your help? I shared some time ago about uh, some of the things I've learned with the homeless ministry that I was a part of in D.C. And one of the interesting things to me was no matter what we showed up for some of them, whether we had coats, scarves, or, or hot chocolate, or tea, some of them wanted nothing to do with anything that we had. Some of them wanted nothing to do with what we had. And one of the things I learned is that sometimes we get comfortable in our condition. While it may not be ideal, it's familiar. Don't bother me. I'm good here. It's not ideal, but it is familiar. Now, conversely, some people like the attention that their condition affords them. And not only that, I've learned that many people falsely believe that their identity is found in their condition. So sometimes productivity, growth, or in this case, healing, it can present a threat 
that people are afraid to face. If you don't believe me, just talk to someone who has been in prison for any prolonged period of time. Often to them, freedom is a threat. It's a threat to the structure they've become accustomed to. It's a threat to the lifestyle, the comfort they're familiar with. And so Jesus asked the man, do you want to be healed? Why? Because there's a cost associated with this. There's a cost associated with this. Listen, there are emotions and feelings connected to the conditions that we're comfortable with. And you and I are going to have to be willing to part ways with, with, with these emotions and feelings in order to experience what God has for us on the other side. Listen, God's concern for us is not just our healing, but that we have a hope that rests in him. A hope that rests in him. So the question that Jesus asked the man, it, it challenged his desire. It challenged his emotions because truthfully, there's a lot of us, maybe you got a little extra poundage like me, and maybe you want to be healthier, but you don't feel like going to the gym. Or for some of us, we, we want to be in a different place spiritually, but we don't feel like spending time in God's word. And so the question that Jesus asked the man was a, was a very direct question. It was also a very personal question. He said, do you want to be healed? Now, the scripture says that Jesus knew that the man had been there for a long time. In other words, Jesus knew that the man had a past. Jesus knew that the man had a past that was full of depression, discouragement, and hopelessness. Just like he knows that many of us have pasts that are filled with depression, discouragement, and hopelessness. Now, while I certainly believe that, that God is sensitive to our past, I don't think that God is limited by our past. So I believe that the question was not only a direct question, it was not only a personal question, but I believe it's a present question. In other words, God is asking us today, do you want to be healed? I also believe that this question is not limited to sickness or infirmity, but God is also asking, do you want more of my power, more of my glory in your life? Do you want to be healed? Let's look at the man's response here in verse number seven. The man re responds by saying, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going down, another steps down before me. Can you imagine the frustration of having what you want just beyond your grasp? You can see it, you can taste it, maybe even you can smell it, but you just can't get to it. See, it's one thing to hope for something you can't see. It's one thing to hope for something you can't see. I believe it's so much more of a struggle to hope for something that's so close yet so far away. I can imagine that the man had to deal with the frustration of watching other people be blessed and healed around him. Now, if we're honest, that's not always a happy time, right? Watching other people be blessed with the things that, that, that you want, the things that you've been praying for. I remember uh, hearing Jacqueline share her story once of when she was a single woman, um, always having had the desire to be a wife and a mom and having to deal with the frustration of watching others around her get blessed and be married and have children. 
Somebody here can relate to that. Or maybe for you, it's that you've been passed up for the promotion, though you've been with the company for a long time. Maybe somebody listening today has been praying for a financial breakthrough that hasn't happened yet. What I'm saying is that many of us know what it's like to be caught between hope and hopelessness. Unfortunately, some of us come to the conclusion that, that maybe things will, maybe they'll never get better. And so we subsequently make friends with disappointment. We make friends with disappointment. And so while many believe that the man's response here in verse 7 was an excuse, I believe that it was the voice of, of hopelessness. I believe that it represented a sound that many of us are familiar with. But here comes the Savior. And so in verse 8, Jesus gives the command to the man. Jesus gives the command. Jesus says to the man, get up, take up your bed, and walk. So the bed now, for clarity in this case, is not the same as the bed that many of us lay in today. This bed was more of a mat that could be rolled up and carried away. But notice what Jesus didn't do. Notice that Jesus didn't put him in the water. Jesus didn't pray with him. Jesus didn't touch him and heal him. Jesus gave a command. He gave a command. Now, the command required obedience. The command required obedience. And remember, at this point, he didn't even know that it was Jesus that was talking to him. He doesn't find that out until verse 15 when Jesus sees him in the temple. So the command required obedience. But remember, we saw this in the first two signs. In John 2, when they had run out of wine, Mary said to the servants, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. And in John chapter 2, verse 7, Jesus says to the servants, fill the jars with water. Now, I don't know about you, but I can imagine uh, being a, a servant there and, and thinking like, like, bro, we need wine, man. What does that have to do with we need wine. It just wouldn't have happened the way I would have thought it would happen. In John 4, if you remember, the official walked 24 miles believing that Jesus was going to walk back with him to heal his son. Only for Jesus to say in John 4, verse 50, go, your son will live. It didn't happen the way he thought it would happen. So he had to walk back 24 miles wrestling with the question, is it true? Because it wasn't what he was expecting. It wasn't what he was hoping for. Now think about it. For 38 years, he believed the only way to be healed was to be the first in the water after it was stirred up. And all of a sudden, a random man comes and tells you to get up, take up your bed, and walk. The command directly conflicted with his belief system. For 38 years, all he knew was one way to be healed. For 38 years, all of his hope, all of his expectation was anchored in a place. So when Jesus gives the command, he had to be willing to let go of what he had been believing for so long. Because all of a sudden now, Jesus, who is the way, had just conflicted with his way. Isn't it the same for us? We often become so attached to how we think 
how we believe God is going to bless us. Or we often become attached to how God has done something in the past. Maybe that's the reason some of us have missed God. Maybe the reason that we're deaf, blind, lame, and paralyzed spiritually is because God's commands haven't lined up with our expectations. Listen, all of us have areas of of weakness in our life that we can become comfortable with if we are not careful. But I want to submit to us today that, that, that what we should be more concerned with is what that comfort could be costing us. What, it, what, it, what could it be costing us? And, and so as I begin to close this message, I want to attempt to uh, reshape the framework of your thinking related to healing and deliverance. Jesus asked the man a question. Then Jesus gave the man a command. But the command that Jesus gave the man delivered the man from what was ailing him. The command delivered the man. But what if God chooses different for you? If you remember 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, begged God three times, deal with this thing, God. If you remember, God's response was, my grace is sufficient For you, what am I saying? I'm saying, what if your limp never goes away? What if your eyesight never gets better? What if God's plan for you is not to deliver you from it, but to disciple you through it? Does God love you any less? Is God not still in control? Would you still serve him faithfully? Would you still love him with your whole heart? What if God's preference was not that we had a perfect life, but that we were fully committed to the one who is perfect? My mother-in-law, my mother-in-law was, was born with a birth defect, and I'm sharing this story by her permission. She was born with a birth defect uh, where her body essentially uh, is out of alignment. She's pictured here with her husband, uh, Leroy, a.k.a. Pops. Uh, Beautiful woman inside and out, but she has never known life without pain. Never. Never known life without pain. Now, to look at her, you would never know. Never known life without pain, yet every time I talk to her, God is a part of the conversation. Every time I talk to her, God is a part of the conversation. She told me uh, once that though she never blamed God, she did once ask God why. She said God's response to her was, because I can trust you with the pain. That you'll praise me in spite of it. Today, my mother-in-law has created an an all-natural pain cream. Why? Because instead of God delivering her from it, God is discipling her through it so that others may be drawn to him. See, the conflict in her body created intimacy with her father. And the world gets to benefit from that. See, see, the, the encounter with the man here was bigger than 
the healing because God's, God's desire for us is that instead of living, we would have life. So this encounter was much, much bigger than the healing. The question challenged his desire and confronted his emotions. The command conflicted with his belief system, his expectations. But both were signs that pointed to Jesus, not as his healer, but as his hope. The point was not perfection. The point is relationship. Listen, family, the, the, the signs are clear. The way has been made. And Jesus is asking, do you want to be healed? If the answer is yes, then the command is get up, take up your bed, and walk with me. If you remember John 20 verse 31 says, but these signs are written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, we may have life in his name. And so I want to leave you uh, today with a couple of questions to ponder as our application today. Question number one is this. What mat is Jesus calling you to get up from today? What mat is Jesus calling you to get up from today? And, and I'm believing that, that as you hear this question, God is reminding you of what that is. Question number two, what's keeping you connected to your mat? Maybe you want to turn these things over to God, but maybe procrastination is keeping you. Maybe fear, control, distrust. And question number three, are you willing to exchange your mat for a miracle? Are you willing to exchange your mat for a miracle? In other words, are you willing to let go of what's in your hands in exchange for what's in God's heart? What I'm learning, family, is that the more we anchor our hope in the person of Jesus Christ, the one who's faithful, the one who said he'll never leave you nor forsake you, the less concerned we'll be with what's going on around us. Because the healing we need is not found in a place. It's found in a person. To God be the glory. Let's pray together. God, our Father, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for reminding us today that you're all that we need. Everything we're looking for, everything we're concerned with is found in you. The answers to all the questions that make us weary are found in you. So God, we open our hearts, we open our minds to you right now in this moment. We give you the space, God, we give you the dominion to have your way in our life. For we commit to trust that since you knew where we would be right now, You have everything we need. We pray, Lord, that you would get the glory in all that we are and all that we do, say, and think. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What a, what a great...
message. Aren't, aren't you grateful for Pastor Rodney and for the gifts that God has given to him, teaching and preaching and leadership? So grateful for you, brother. Thank you for that word. And what a perfect word it is for us even today in God's providence that this would be the passage that we're looking at today and the bottom line of hope isn't found in a place. It's found in a person. And so as we're gathered in all kinds of different places today, we don't, we don't put our hope in a, in a particular place. We put it, of course, in the, the person of Jesus. And the reality is that this is not the church, the physical space. You are the church. And wherever we're gathered today, across the city, across the country, across the world, we are the church, glorifying God, lifting up his name, and worshiping him together. I want to encourage you this week to go further with the message. We've created uh, a sermon study guide that's available via the app and our website where you can take the passage today and go a little bit deeper with some questions that you can study individually, as a family, as a group. And so you can access that on our website via our app. And I would encourage you to do so this week and go further uh, with the message. This afternoon, we're going to be making an important announcement about some future worship services and decisions that we're making as a church. So I want to encourage you to check your inbox today and social media as we make some decisions and want to just give you a heads up on that to please pay attention and look for that. Before we finish our services today, let me give a little bit of New City Family news. First of all, if you're visiting with us, if you're just connecting with us online watching today, uh, we're so grateful to have you, and we want to help you get further connected here, find out more about the church. If you've been coming for a while or attending online for a while and you want to get further connected, there's an easy way to do that. On the app today as you're watching or online, there's a tab that says connection card or on the website you can find it. Please click on that and our staff will be in touch with you, helping you to find ways to get further connected here into a new city group or some place of service. We would love to do that. If you have a specific prayer request today, if we can connect with you on that, we'd love to know about that as well. And you can, again, click on the connection card link there or email us at info at newcity.us and we'd love to be in touch with you uh, with your prayer request or any particular needs. We'd love to know about that and journey with you and help shepherd you through that. Uh, additionally, we're going to be doing giving online today, so if, if you're already signed up to give online, thank you for doing that. If you give regularly through the offering plate, if you're a part of our New City family, I want to encourage you uh, to go online and give. You can automate your giving. You can do a one-time gift. Uh, you can also mail in your gift. Our, our church offices um, will be able to receive that, and so I want to encourage you uh, to do so today. Thank you so much for your, your faithfulness, for your generosity uh, through this time. We're grateful for that new city as we continue our ministry of the word. Finally, I want to encourage you today, church, before we dismiss our worship service, to think about the people that God's put in closest proximity to you, your neighbors, those nearest to you that you can have a ministry to today and this week ahead. You know, we did a series a couple of months ago called The Art of Neighboring, and we looked at the eight closest neighbors that we have in our apartment complex and our neighborhood, learning their names, learning their story, ways that, ways that we can reach out to them and share the love of Jesus with them. Little did we know that we would be in this moment and that God was preparing us for such a time as this. And so I want to encourage you to look in on the people closest to you, to love them, to encourage them. If you can run to the grocery store for them, particularly for those in your circles that are most vulnerable, to, to care for them and to look out for them, to be the church for them. Let's continue to, to live on mission together, New City family, to be a community of Christ followers, bringing gospel renewal to our city and to our world. And that begins right where you are today.
We're so grateful that you could join us today for this worship service. We're going to continue next week in our series, The Miraculous Seven. We're going to look at the feeding of the 5,000. So I want to encourage you next week to be diving into that passage and to join us for that. Let's conclude our time together with a word of prayer. Let's pray together. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 46, and it's our prayer today, New City. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble and swell, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We look to you today, Jesus, our refuge, our strength. We will not fear, for you are with us. We give you all the glory and praise today, in Christ's name.